Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. Katie. Hey, Kayla. Sorry, I had to swallow. I don't know if they heard that or not. (laughs) That sounded gross. (laughs) So exciting. It's exciting. It's It's exciting. It's exciting. (laughs) It's exciting. We're at a thousand followers on Facebook. Yeah, that was super, super cool. So we want to thank everyone who has followed us on Facebook and and that liked is, our page on Facebook. Yes. And um, we hope that you're listening now. We hope that you're just not liking our page. We hope that you're listening. Yes. Enjoying. We want you to subscribe to wherever you're listening from, whether that's Apple or Spotify or Google Playlist. Please subscribe there. Also, follow us on Instagram because we also have one of those. We do. And Katie kind of... She's kind of over our Facebook, and I'm over the Instagram. That's just kind of how we do things. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorely lacking in followers. <laughs> the Instagram is looking a little rough, y'all. So please go over there and follow and follow us there too. It's like please, huh? It's like it's like please, please, please. She needs a nap. I do. But we're sitting here drinking our wine to celebrate a thousand followers. And uh, now 1.1. Yeah. As of this recording, there is 1.1K. So we're just sipping our wine. And we do have kind of a little special guest here. My cousin's here from Minnesota. She just moved to Minnesota. She's just kind of watching us how we do things. and Yeah. She's hanging hanging out. She's hanging out on the floor. So what you bringing to the table today? So, yes. Austin, Texas. In 1991. Okay. Okay. So, the night of December 6, 1991, in Austin, Texas, police officer Troy Gay was patrolling the North Austin area. It was around 11.47 p.m. when he received a call that there was a fire at the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt shop. What? What? (laughs) Just the name of the yogurt shop gets me every time. I know. It just... I can't believe it's yogurt. Yeah, it just gets me every time. I'm sorry. It's okay. He calls it in, and soon the fire department arrives to extinguish the fire. The yogurt shop was closed for the night, so initially everyone thought that this was just an after-hours kitchen fire. The door was locked from the inside. I mean, obviously, because it's closed. Right, it's closed. Right, so <laughs> the door should be locked no from the inside. home. But the back door from the alleyway was unlocked. As the firemen make their way into the building, assessing the damage, they stumble upon a scene that none of them were expecting. What they find are four nude bodies. 
those bodies were of 13-year-old Amy Ayers, 17-year-old Eliza Thomas, 17-year-old Jennifer Harbison, and her sister, her 15-year-old sister, Sarah Arbison. Each had been bound and gagged by their own clothing and shot execution style with a 22 caliber pistol. Eliza, Jennifer, and Sarah had been stacked on top of one another. And when I read that initially, it made me think I, of Hinterkaifeck. It did. It, when you it just made said me think it. of Hinterkaifeck, yeah. But Amy was found in a separate part of the shop. So she was not stacked mm-hmm. like the others. But I'm going to rewind a little bit and tell you what brought those four girls to the yogurt shop. Jennifer and Eliza both worked at the yogurt shop and were on the closing shift for that night. Jennifer's sister, Sarah, and her friend, Amy, had been dropped off at the mall by Jennifer before Jennifer's shift. On her break, Jennifer swung by the mall to pick the girls up and bring them back to the yogurt shop with her. The girls just kind of hung out um, until they closed and they were actually going to like just help them close up and stuff. Mm-hmm. There was a sleepover planned at Jennifer and Sarah's house that night, and they were all excited. It was just a normal Friday night for these four teenage girls, or so they thought. Later, some of the last customers of that night would say that they walked out of the shop at 10.42 p.m. and that Jennifer locked the door behind them. Mm -hmm. But they also reported seeing two men sitting at a booth that just kind of looked out of place. Now, I would assume that Jennifer locked the door, even with customers still inside. We used to do this at the bookstore. Yeah, wear your clothes. Yeah, we would, even though we had customers still in, we would lock the door so no more customers would come in. in. Neither of those men purchased yogurt that night, only drinks. The shop closed at 11 p.m. with a no-sale transaction that was ran just three minutes later. So they closed at 11 p.m. The no-sell was ran at 11.03. A no-sell is basically just... Opening the register Yeah, when you're something. at a register, you just want to open it, like, to count the teal or to make change or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what it says. It's a no-sell. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so they just hit that button and was able to get into the register. Investigators believe the motive for these murders was robbery. So this is probably when the perpetrators forced the girls to give them the money out of the register. Mm-hmm. Due to the fire, much of the evidence was gone. Plus, due to the debris of the fire and just the sheer amount of water they had to use to put out the fire, it made investigating the crime scene extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. It is also believed that accelerant was used. So this fire started and escalated quickly. Right. Somebody made very sure of that. Yes. Sounds like. Like I said earlier, Eliza, Jennifer, and Sarah were stacked on top of each other, and Amy was found away from the bodies. She did not die instantly when the first bullet hit her. They think she she tried to escape by crawling towards the exit. She had been beaten with a gun and had also been sexually assaulted. Oh, God. Amy was then shot by another gun, a three eighty caliber pistol, which ultimately did kill her. All four girls had severe burns on their bodies. Even though there wasn't much evidence, investigators were able to collect a semen sample from Amy's body. Neither gun, the 22 nor the 380, were found at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. They were only able to, you know, they only found the bullets and right. the casings. Investigators combed through all the evidence they had. 
they built models of the yogurt shop and even the mall that the two younger girls were at earlier that day trying to get a an idea a picture of just how this happened and by who even after hours and hours of work the case was beginning to get cold Mm -hmm. eight years pass and investigators took a fresh look because they didn't have anything right which brought them back to four individuals who were suspects from the very beginning Robert Springsteen, Michael Scott, Maurice Pierce, and Forrest Wellborn. Maurice Pierce, who was 16 at the time of the crimes, was originally put on police's radar when he was arrested at a mall just days after the killings. He was arrested for having a gun. Do you want to guess what kind of gun, Katie? I don't know about you, but I feel it's a 22. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to. I'm actually kind of proud of you for We that. see Taylor Swift in two weeks. I have to. Exactly. But yes, you are correct. It was a 22 caliber gun. He stated that he had given it to Forrest Wellborn and that Forrest used it in the murders. He also implicated Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott as well. However, after some intense questioning, that promising lead ended up going nowhere. Detectives came to the conclusion that Maurice was just trying to get out of a gun charge. Mm-hmm. And ended up letting him go. However, when the investigators took a second look eight years later, they realized that the four were still their number one suspects. Mm -hmm. So now in 1999, and in their 20s by this point, the four men were arrested and charged with the murders. So how old were they when they were? So they were teenagers when this happened. Yeah. Also. Mm -hmm. They were teenagers. Just as the victims. And I think it was like originally thought that just... By the sheer, like, how big the crime was. Just by right. how I mean, big the crime was. In a very elaborate crime yes. for teenagers mm-hmm. to do. I mean, yes. execution style, strangulation with their own clothes, sexual mm-hmm. assault. Then you start a fire. Yeah. So they originally... They th- also robbed the place. Yeah, I think it was originally thought that, like, grown-ass men did this. Yeah, I mean, like, that's a lot for a teenager mm-hmm. to think about. Not saying it hasn't been done or... Can't be done. Absolutely. But still, I mean, it's you know they were like, yeah, grown ass men did this at first. Yeah, I mean, I, I get yeah. their their thinking process with that. Yeah. Police questioned the men again, and this time they got confessions. Well, they got confessions out of two of them: Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott. Even though Maurice had thought to have been the ringleader originally, charges were dropped against him. So the one with the gun, the charges were dropped. Hello. <laughs> yeah. They were also dropped for Forrest Wellborn as well, due to lack of evidence. Mm-hmm. Maurice was later killed in an unrelated incident with police. I this... forgot so much about this case, so everything you're telling mm-hmm. me, it's like new to my system. So I'm yeah. like, oh yeah. Now this is usually where I would tell you, case closed, right? Mm-hmm. We got confessions, so that means those men were thrown in jail and they threw away the key. But not always. Nope. That's what I would like to be able to say. But that's not the case. No, it just gets a lot more complicated. Michael Scott confessed to taking part of the murders after being interrogated for 20 hours over the course of four days. A few days later, Robert Springsteen did the same. Both of their stories were similar. They said they were casing the area in the shop, and later that night, they went in through the back door, which, Mm -hmm. if you remember, had been unlocked, and committed the murders. The men ended up pleading not guilty, despite giving their confessions. I hate when they do that. Well, why? 
though. Why would they do that when they literally confess to these crimes? They both say they were coerced into confessing. I just knew you were going to say that. Yeah. In one of the interrogations with Michael, an investigator puts a gun up to Michael's head. And he says, Is that the gun you shot somebody with, Mike? Is that the gun you walked up behind somebody with and shot in the head? Is that the one? Talk to me, Mike. Michael said, Yes, sir. The investigator said, You did that, didn't you? Michael said, Yes, sir. So I feel like, yeah, that's coercion. Like, that's intimidation. 100%. There's a difference between intense interrogation mm-hmm. and coercion. And you can watch the video. I mean, you hold the gun to my head. I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Exactly. I just want to live. Exactly. And 20 hours, even if it's over the course of four days, that's a lot. That's a lot of, of interrogation. Even without someone putting a gun to someone's head, like, you get a lot of false confessions this way. Because they just want it to be over. And yeah, they'll say I mean, whatever they can. in your head. And they'll say whatever they can to end the interrogation. Which is not so add a, a good plan. So add a gun being put to your head. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you whatever you want. Yeah. So, despite recanting their their statements and no physical evidence tying them to the scene, both of the men were convicted. These convictions would not bring the girls back, but it did give the family some peace knowing that the men were behind bars. Robert Springsteen was sentenced to death, and Michael Scott was sentenced to life in prison. He was only 15 at the time of the crime and couldn't be sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. That peace and what little closure the convictions brought the family would be short-lived, however, because five years later, in 2006, their convictions were overturned. Their reasoning was that their constitutional rights had been violated under the Confrontation Clause. See, during their confessions, they basically implicated each other, and in, in the court of law, was unable to confront each other's claims. Mm-hmm. So, they were set free. However, prosecution insisted that they would be retried and had been preparing to do so. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they were let out, they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to set up another, right. another case here. But that would end up not happening because you know that DNA sample that they were able to collect from Amy? Right. Well, in 2008, a DNA testing called Y-STR found the sample did not match any of the four men. Not Robert. Not Michael, not Maurice, and not Forrest. Nor did it match anyone in the nationwide database. Prosecution were basically forced to drop the charges against Robert and Michael and really didn't feel comfortable retrying them until they found out who that DNA belonged to. Because I really don't think they would have won that case. No, because you now you have concrete DNA evidence mm-hmm. and you can't argue that fact nope. of it didn't match any of these four young men. Yep. So the case ultimately goes cold after that. Author Beverly Lowry wrote a book called Who Killed These Girls and goes over the different theories. Most believe that the key to this case lies in those two men who were last seen in the shop. Beverly also states that there was an unopened can of Coke on the counter. And if you remember what I said earlier, those men only bought Bought drinks. drinks. Beverly theorizes that one of the men bought that Coke and when one of the girls bent down to get it, that's when he pulled the gun on her. Robert Springsteen ends up suing the city of Austin for $700,000 in attempt to clear his name. Because even though the charges were dropped, no one had declared him innocent either. Right. He wanted to be out of that legal gray area. He was denied this in 2014, and the ruling was upheld even though he tried to appeal it. Judge Bob Pemberton 
wrote that Springsteen can't be considered actually innocent because he hasn't received a full pardon based on innocence and because prosecute prosecutors <laughs> dead I'm fucking dead oh, no. oh, no. prosecutors oh, no. okay <clears throat> because prosecutors haven't deemed him innocent which I, I understand that that's yeah. You know, the legality of the things. He is still considered a suspect until this is completely solved and could be subject to new charges. Like what? Well, they seriously don't have any other suspects. He's still on the suspect list. I mean, the DNA. Hey, at one point we got a confession. Yeah, the DNA doesn't match, but that, I mean, I guess in their eyes are like, that doesn't mean he wasn't there. Right. And and I I understand that. Yeah. But also. Right. Now, investigators get a match to the DNA years later by an online database. Here's the thing, though. The sample it matched to had been submitted anonymously by the FBI. And even though the Austin police tried to uncover the name, the FBI wouldn't release the name because of privacy laws. Now, I don't know if that match was a direct match or if it was a family match. Right. Do you get what I mean? Like familial dna familial dna yeah and so i I, that i wasn't i'm not too sure on austin officials were not just going to let that be the end of that they contacted one of their representatives in congress michael mccall to help them get the fbi to cooperate with them because of his efforts the fbi agreed to help the austin police department with further testing of the sample so they basically said if you want to test this further like give us another piece of the sample we'll retest it again right yeah In 2020, they did do further testing with even more advanced technology, and they found that it was actually not a match to what they originally thought was a match. They are just waiting for DNA science to improve even more before they resubmit what they have left of the sample, which isn't much. Because once you use it, it's It's, it's gone. Yeah. In August of 2022, President Biden signs the Homicide Victims Family Rights Act, which was influenced by this case. Basically, the law ensures that law enforcement reviews decades-old cold cases and applies the latest technology. Mm-hmm. Basically, just they don't just sit in a box. Right. We get they new technology. They need to be looked at. You need to uh, relook at it. Try, try, and try again. Yep. Don't just let it sit there. Families of victims can request that a federal agency review the cold case. I mean, I always think it's good when new eyes fresh eyes absolutely look into cases anyways yeah sometimes someone catches something or sees something a different way which can lead to a case being solved Mm -hmm. but that's kind of where we're left as of right now investigators still follow new leads and are still very much committed to solving this heinous crime over 30 years have passed since that night the fact of the matter is no matter what your opinion of the four who were accused or what your theory on the case is, four girls are still without justice. Mm -hmm. Four girls who were in school and working their first jobs, just excited about a sleepover. Four girls who had their entire lives ahead of them. Their families have been through complete and total hell and deserve to see the ones that are responsible, whoever they may be, to be punished to the full extent of the law. So if you have any information regarding this case... Please call 512-472-8477. What are your thoughts? It's a very complicated, they're a whiplash in this case. I know. You're I like, know. someone confessed. He was coerced. We have DNA. It matches. No, it doesn't. We can't even tell you who it was. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> yeah. And I did forget just how brutal this case was for these girls. And it's just so pure. They were just excited to go to a sleepover. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all been there when we were younger. Working we were at excited. a yogurt shop. Just trying to. Yeah. And and I, I feel bad for the four men who, you know, this has been pinned on, basically. And I'm sure that there are still people out there that believe that it was him. I don't know. It's strange to say that you have sympathy for these people, but mm-hmm. you do sympathize a little bit. It's just human nature to sympathize with these people. Yeah, the families are pretty, like, from the interviews I've watched, they're pretty upset over the men being let out. And they got really upset when Robert sued the state mm-hmm. for his innocence, essentially. And in some of the interviews I watched of what the families had to say about that, they were, one of the fathers basically said, if he wins this, he will essentially be getting paid for murdering four girls. The city will have paid him for murdering four girls. Right. And so in their minds, they are guilty. And and I get it. I get wanting that closure. I get wanting justice. I mean, I can't even imagine. No. And so... I, and I understand that it's probably very, not even just emotionally taxing for the family, but also confusing because at one point... Two of these men out of the four did confess Absolutely. and say that they did this. Mm-hmm. Now, was it a thousand percent coerced? At least I for did, one of them. At yeah. least for one of them that I feel personally. Absolutely. Because, you know, like I said, we would all probably say or do just about anything with a gun pointed mm-hmm. to our head if that meant that, you know, nothing bad was going to happen to us. I think where people get tripped up is that their stories were so similar. And so... And with them especially not being in the same room, mm-hmm. they're like, how did they, it how were they able bit, to, you know, yeah, be able to put their stories together like that so well? But at the same time, you know, an, another point was made that, you know, the, the four boys at the time mm-hmm. were questioned, right? What is to say that basically the four boys, you know, at the time, they were boys at the time, were questioned, but... What's to say that those four did not learn something about the crime during that line of questioning? Yeah, because... Because they use, you know, police will tell things like, or ask questions to get a confession right, out I of mean, you. Yeah. So at that time, they could have learned something about the case. So, so that's mean, another reason it didn't fly, because they're like, you questioned them before, and... They didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And also, they've had, you know, this many years since the crime to what was it eight years yeah i mean they had almost 10 years of articles news coverage i mean all of these things just Mm -hmm. the community in itself talking about it you're hearing details Mm -hmm. you know they have that also to kind of put puzzle pieces together it is strange that they were similar accounts Mm -hmm. of, of out of the two men that confessed but like i said you know part of me does sympathize with them because you know, it, it's not a question as to at least if one of them was coerced. It's it's on video. You mm-hmm. can watch it. So you do sympathize with them a little bit, but also it is very questionable. So you're like, I want to take a step back and I don't want to sympathize with them. Yeah. Because, I mean, what if, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that this case can 100% be solved. And I think it will. I think eventually yeah. we will get a match, at least. I hope we do on that DNA. But anyways, I think it can be solved. Agreed. As long as all of the DNA sample is not used mm-hmm. before we find a match, then I agree. I think a thousand percent that it can be solved. And when it is, or if we get an update, 
just like with the Delphi case, just like Summer Wells. Summer Wells, any case we we do that you is know unsolved. is unsolved or have we have questions in the end, if we get an update, we will update you. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Well thanks for sharing. Always. Always always an important story to share. Mm-hmm. It sure is. But anyways, please, please, I beg of you, subscribe on Apple, subscribe on Spotify, and please follow us on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Not just Facebook. Please, please. Okay, guys. You can tell we've had wine. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing. And our friend Avalyn Yulaberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is M3Podcast. And you can find us on Facebook under the name of our podcast, which is Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. (laughs) 